Soft as it began by Rubbersoul O.T. Chapter 17 Hermione stays up to write her newest submission to Madge, detailing her experience in Warsaw and her suspicions surrounding the reason Harry had first disappeared all those years ago. She forces herself to stay focused until she gets it done, saving her other thoughts for when she falls onto her bed in exhaustion, staring at the opposite wall where the moonlight shines through the window. Her mind races with more than just thoughts of their discoveries today. She lies there for a few minutes, unmoving, the hand on her belly rising and falling with each tired breath in and out. An owl taps at her window, just as she feels the threat of sleep fall upon her. Beak against the glass, talons scraping at the wood on the ledge outside. Hermione opens the window and pulls the letter from the owl's beak, sending it off after she's ripped it open and read it all in one breath. Disappointment and fear mixing in the cavern of her stomach. It's a reply from Dean. He tells her that her letter must have gotten lost briefly on its way to him, and that by the time he'd gotten anyone to Poland, McNair and his partner were already gone. And they'd gotten away. Now they have more to worry about than just finding Harry. She isn't sure if Draco is awake, but if he is, she wants him to know. Feel safer if he knows. Down the corridor, his door has been left open, but Draco isn't inside. She scans the small expanse of the room for a moment, taking in what she's never really had the chance to before. It's tidy, neat, but for the unmade bed, and she can't make out the places where his body has been. Where the fabric twists and ruches, the sheets kick to one side, the pillow pressed half up against the headboard. It must have been left that way before they'd gone to Austria. The desk is buried in parchment and books, but still organised, his favourite jumper lying across the back of his chair. His trunk is open against the far wall, displaying a few stacks of neatly folded clothes and a few other personal items that she doesn't look too closely at. The room smells like him. She turns on her heel, already feeling as though she has crossed a line somehow, by looking into his space while he wasn't there. His room is a lot like him, neat and orderly on the surface, but... If she were to guess, something more, something substantial, lies underneath it all. She creeps downstairs to find the kitchen door open. She can see the porch light on through the screen door and she knows he's out there. It's a warm night, warmer than she's used to, still carrying humidity left over from this afternoon. It's only slightly cooler outside than it is in, offering almost no relief as she steps out onto the porch into the lingering twilight. Draco sits on the top of the porch steps, his back to her. He's shirtless, and displaying the pale expanse of his back, lean muscles and the blades of his shoulders stretched taut over the pointy bones. Her eyes fall on the small freckle below his right shoulder, and she's tempted for a moment to reach out and press the tip of her finger to it, to draw lines from that spot outwards, tracing each contour and slope of his back. He doesn't look at her until she sits down beside him, planting her feet on the next step down and hugging her knees to her chest. Still irritated with me, Malfoy? I'm always irritated with you, Granger. She huffs a breathy laugh from her nostrils. <laughs> Likewise. Neither of them speak for a moment. Draco turns back to look out at the clearing, and Hermione's gaze falls downwards onto his left forearm, which he rests over one bent knee. Funny how she hadn't taken notice of it till now. It's not like she hadn't caught glimpses of it here and there. The once jet-black ink now faded to a barely visible grey. It's that its presence hasn't seemed important anymore. 
He had redeemed himself to her a long time ago, and even though she hasn't already taken a moment to think about it, she knows that that symbol doesn't mean what it used to anymore. It's the mark of her past life, entirely inconsequential simply because he had made it so. He catches her looking at it, lifting an eyebrow before seemingly confirming her thoughts. Sometimes looking at it makes me feel like there must have been something else in this body when I got it. I find it hard to believe that it used to mean something to me. She meets his stare, her breath catching as her eyes lock sharply onto his silver ones. It doesn't mean anything to you now. Not even as a reminder of what you overcame. He turns his chin away to look forward again, his jaw working. The heat of his body next to hers is comforting despite the fact it's still too warm out to really appreciate it. She wants to lean into him, press her skin against his, find out if she fits against him and how well. Not everything has to have a meaning, Granger. I don't need a reminder of how I used to be and how I've changed. I live with that reminder every day. This mark used to mean something only because I let it, because I was afraid and stupid and angry. And then, when he gave it to me, it meant that I was finally standing up and doing something to protect my family. I thought that I was brave for making the decisions I did to keep them safe. To me, the mark wasn't a symbol of my loyalty to the Dark Lord. It was a symbol of my willingness to do what it took to look after the people I loved. We're the ones that have the power to attribute meaning to things, not the symbols themselves. She watches his expression the confidence with which he speaks, the palpable honesty he uses to guide his words. So you're a nihilist, she deadpans, slightly teasing. Draco scoffs, turning to look at her again with a stoic expression. No. Maybe. I suppose I'm a realist. If everything on Earth had inherent meaning before we assigned it to them, everything would mean the same thing to everyone. We have to decide that things mean something, or else take them for face value. Choose to let it just be what it is. If I let this mark on my arm represent what it's supposed to, then it has won. Then I have let it have power over me. She scrunches her nose in thought, her eyes trailing down to his lips briefly before she pulls them up again. He's watching her curiously, as if he's actually waiting to hear what she has to say, and actually cares for her opinion. But what about people? she asks, looking away from him. Their eye contact is too intense, the proximity and his seemingly ominescent gaze raising the fine hairs on the back of her neck. What about them? She licks her lips, taking a breath in as she collects her thoughts. Her eyes dance across the dark line of trees surrounding the clearing, watching the spiky silhouettes of leaves sway silently in the breeze. It doesn't work that way for people, she explains, the pad of her thumb rubbing soothing circles against the skin of her knee. She reaches one hand up to tuck a few stray curls behind her ear, feeling Draco's lingering gaze on her profile as she does so. I think the people we love mean something to us because at some point we just realise that they do, not because we wake up one day and decide they should. It just sort of happens. She finds the courage to look at him then, dead in the eye, her ears warm, heart in her throat as she waits for him to respond. You don't think we have power over who we choose to care about? She shakes her head, resting her chin on the crook of her elbow, letting it cradle her as her gaze falls downwards onto her feet. I think life would be a lot easier if we were able to pick and choose who we let ourselves care for. 
it would make this now, these past few months, a whole lot easier. She hears him inhale a breath. And why do you say that, Granger? Her heart races. Thump, thump, thumping a swift and even ribbon against her ribs. Did he know what he was asking of her? He was too intelligent not to catch the way she turned into this into something more personal. That she'd admitted something to him, hinted at it in so few words. She lifts her head from her arm, brushing a mosquito from her ankle and scratching at the bite it's left behind. Because loving someone is hard work. It means being vulnerable. It means putting yourself at risk. It means caring about them, even when there's no possibility they might care for you in the same capacity. He studies her, and there is so much there behind his eyes that she wishes she could crawl inside and take a peek. Swim in his thoughts and soak them up until she knows him as well as one can know another person. And yet it's in our nature, isn't it? To love and to hate. But we make those feelings meaningful by choosing what to do with them, in the ways we decide to show we care and how we act. We have to choose to make someone meaningful. We have to choose how we show them every day that they matter to us. I don't disagree, she says, studying the sharp angles and long lines of his face. Tracing them, mapping them, memorising them. I just think some things in life mean something, inherently, without us having to choose. There are some things we can't pick. Was he right? Had she made the choice to stop hating Draco Malfoy? To exchange it for affection, for care? It's not like caring for him would ever be easy, but she's never been one to take the easy way out. They hold eye contact for a moment before turning away simultaneously listening to the distant sounds of an animal in the woods. She could understand why Draco thought the way he did. He'd been someone without control for his life for so long, had watched since he was younger, as everyone made his decisions for him. Who he'd marry, who he had to hate, what he had to stand for. Taking the mark hadn't been a choice. It had been an alternative to death sentence, the only one a scared boy of sixteen could think of. So it made sense that he was selective now, that he treasured his own agency, and that he found meaning where and when he wanted it. He was selective about what and who he shared himself with, selective about the things he deemed to be important, because for so long someone had chosen for him. Someone had reminded him, day after day, that being pure-blood meant having certain values, that being a wizard was meaningful only if your blood was the right kind. She thinks that this only makes things Draco cares for now more special, it makes them more wonderful, more rare. She wonders what it feels like to be something, someone he chose. Is your mum doing all right? She asks after a few minutes of comfortable silence. She stretches her legs out in front of her now, her bare arm touching his as she does, warmth spreading through her skin at the contact. She's better, Draco replies, his voice soft with relief. She's going to be fine. Any word from Dean yet? She nods. That's what I came here to tell you. McNair and the other one. They got away. It looks like we'll have to be more careful from now on. Draco looks at her, his brow twitching with something she might call protectiveness. Merlin Granger, this is going to be one hell of an article when we're done, isn't it? A smile twitches onto her lips and she looks at him through thick lashes. Warm affection filling her as she watches his own slanted smile grow in response to hers. Didn't you know, Malfoy? 
I always write one hell of an article. He raises an eyebrow at her, his tongue brushing the corner of his cheek as he shakes his head. Did no one ever tell you it's not polite to brag, Ranger? I guess we both miss that lesson in tactfulness, she quips, turning away from him and pushing herself to a stand. Right, I'm going to bed. Draco pushes himself off the porch stairs as well, his bare chest pale against the blue sky. I'll walk you, he says, his voice low, serious. As they walk together inside the house, shutting off the lights before making their way up the stairs, she thinks about what happened a week ago, thinks about the way he'd spread both kinds of jam on their toast and trusted her with stories from his childhood, had looked at her as if her dancing had been something beautiful and not something sloppy and silly. She thinks about the ways that Draco Malfoy has chosen these past few days and weeks and months to help her, to meet her halfway in whatever she chose to do. But we make those feelings meaningful by choosing what to do with them, in the ways we decide to show we care, and how we act. And she realises something then, as they reach her bedroom door, standing together in the dark corridor. If Draco Malfoy was a choice, one out of thousands of others, she'd choose him every time, because he meant something to her, something beyond anything she'd ever imagined she might feel for him. So just as he begins to turn on his heel to leave her at her open door, she chooses. She grabs his left arm, her thumb pressing ever so lightly into the fading dark mark on his skin, stopping him in his tracks. When he turns back to look at her, his expression confused and bewildered and wondering, she musters the bravery she's always been told that she has and tells him exactly what he means to her. For the record, Draco... She swipes the pad of her thumb over the mark, looking briefly down at it before meeting his eyes again. This doesn't mean anything to me any more, either. I don't see it. All I see is you. When he looks back at her, wearing that same expression he'd worn a week ago before Madge had interrupted them, Hermione suddenly wishes that she were a painter. If she were, she would paint this very expression so that she could look at it forever his face in clear, sharp lines and bright, vibrant colour. You do talk some shit, Granger. Did you know? She knows, seconds before it happens, that he's going to kiss her. For some reason, her body reacts to this realisation by stepping away from him, her back hitting the wood of her open doorframe just as he steps forward. Once, twice, his hands reaching out to either side of her torso, before falling onto her hips and pushing her flat against the door jamb. He takes one more step forward, his body against hers, his eyes dark and decisive as he pushes a knee between her legs. She exhales a shaky breath, tilting her chin upwards to look at him. Are we really doing this? she asks, barely a whisper. I hope so, he replies in a voice that promises to take her apart, piece by little piece. His breath is warm and sweet, and their first kiss is unhurried, attentive. His lips are soft, but the pressure he applies is firm, confident. One of his hands snakes up her body, slicking behind her hair to cup the back of her head, tilting it back, pushing her into him. A low moan rumbles in her throat, and she sort of melts into him, letting him guide her as they grow more comfortable with one another. 
her arms move up and around his side to his back, where her fingernails dig into his shoulders and hold on for dear life. Draco makes a low, low sound in his throat, an exclamation of satisfaction as her nails press half-moon shapes into the warm skin, pulling him closer, closer still. They kiss for what feels like hours, slowly, languidly, like they're savouring it. Blood rushes to her ears, her head, then down again to her nipples and below her navel. Draco's thigh presses against her and her breath catches in her lungs, her lashes fluttering open and closed again at the sensation. She gasps against his mouth when he pushes it further up, into her centre, her head falling back against the jams she whimpers. Draco's fingers press possessively into the flesh of her hip, pulling her lower half into him as he begins to understand what it is that's got her making these noises. Their kisses grow slightly more frantic, wanting, and just as she's about to beg, he pushes his tongue forward past the seam of her lips. If her body was a mould, Draco was hot wax, pouring himself into her, filling her before lightening the wick that would burn and melt them both. There is nothing resistant about their kisses now. They find a rhythm that matches their level of need. A frantic push, a rhythmic pull, teeth and tongue and breathy pants of lust to add fuel to their already scorching fire. Draco's hand skates around her neck to her jaw, his thumb brushing tenderly against the bone as he pulls his lips away from hers, cutting a quick, desperate trail to her collarbone. Hermione arches her back, presenting her chest to him like an offering as he presses wet kisses onto her neck and shoulders, the clavicles and the dip of her breasts until he's cut off by the material of her t-shirt. Hermione brings one hand up to Draco's head, winding her fingers through his hair and tugging him back to her lips. More, Draco, please, she manages to implore breathily in between kisses, grinding herself against his hard thigh. She can feel his own growing hardness against her stomach, pressing into her as she tugs his lip gently with her teeth, eliciting a groan that she swears could be the only thing she needs to sustain her for the rest of her life. Hermione knows what the basic human needs are, and has never taken them for granted. Food, water, shelter, safety. But this, Draco's lips, his teeth scraping her jaw, his hot tongue on her earlobe. She thinks she might need this, wonders how she's gone without it for so long, how she'll live without it again. The hand that holds tightly onto her hip wanders around to her front, to the buttons of her shorts. He grips the waistband, his thumb on the outside of the button, his forefinger slipping inside and against the fabric of her knickers. Please, she whispers again, encouraging him by canting her hips forward into his hand. He pulls his lips away suddenly, resting his forehead against hers as he pants out a few erratic breaths. His fingers dance as they work to undo the buttons, and when she sucks in a sharp breath as his knuckle brushes the front of her knickers again, Draco swallows audibly. Hermione opens her eyes, peering through thick lashes to look at his mouth. Lips parted in shaky exhales, bee stung and pink and perfect as he catches his breath. The button on her shorts pops open, and she uses her grip in his hair to push his lips against hers once more, just as he slips his fingers into her knickers, searching, searching until they find the spot that aches for him. 
Hermione whimpers as his long fingers part her, defining her wet and sliding them gently, experimentally over her as he processes her reaction. Her grip in his hair tightens, her nails digging into the flesh on his back hard enough to leave marks. Fuck, Granger, he mutters, his voice husky and thick. She moans again when he presses the tips of his fingers to her clit, moving them in a slow, steady rhythm. Hermione releases her hold on his back, letting her hand drop and search blindly along the band of his trousers until she reaches the front, slipping her hands between their grating pelvises to cup his hardness in her palm. Draco exhales, harshly through his nostrils, pushing himself into her as he resumes kissing her. The word ecstasy flashes inside of her mind like a neon sign, flicking on and off in blinding colour behind her blackened lids. That's what this was. Ecstasy. Nothing could have prepared her for how good this feels, how right, how absolutely delicious it is to fit herself like a piece of her jigsaw puzzle into his body, to have his fingers rubbing against her like he already knows exactly what it would take to get her there. Up, he mumbles against the shell of her ear, kissing behind it as the hands holds her still and comes down to her bum, pulling her up. Up. She meets him halfway, jumping up and wrapping her legs around his waist. This only presses her centre further into his hand and fingers, and she gasps, her mouth falling open and her eyes squeezing shut. Back against the doorframe, supported by Draco's strong, able body, she rides his hand, fumbling around his front to undo his trousers. She wants to return the favour, wants to liquefy him the same way he's done to her. She swirls her tongue against his, letting him explore her mouth as his fingers work at her core to draw her body tight, need and pleasure pulling her insides taut like strings of a harp. One note snapping melodically and then another, and another, until there's a symphony of pleasure harmonising in her centre, ready to burst. Finally, finally she slips her hand into the front of his trousers and pants, snaking her way under to grip his length in her hand. Draco moans. It rips from his throat and the sound could easily be confused for anguish, torture. She kisses along his jaw, encouraging him as he makes more noises. She begins to move her wrist up and down along his length to the head, where she collects a bead of wetness before bringing it down again, setting a rhythm that has him thrusting his hips forward. He matches it with his fingers against her clit, before slipping one of them inside of her. She gasps, her nipples tightening under her bra, neglected, rock-hard and visible through her shirt. I, fuck, Draco pants, rocking against her holding her up with one strong arm and teasing her centre with the other. Can I make you come, Granger? His words twist her insides like a curling ribbon. She wants to scream, yell, do it, I need it, but can't find a way to vocalise how badly she wants it, and badly she wants him. Yes, is all she can muster, all he needs to hear. His length grows harder still in her hand jerking and twitching as she twists her wrist as much as she can with his trousers in a way, squeezing with what she hopes is the right amount of pressure. I've wondered, he pants, opening his eyes to look at her. His irises are dark, pupils dilated, and his lips swollen from their kisses. 
I've wondered for so long, oh, what you look like when you come. He presses a series of kisses to her throat, growling as he thrusts into her hand. He only grows more frantic and desperate when she whines in encouragement, his name falling off her lips in gasps, whispers. She uses her spare hand to pull him back to her lips, kissing him passionately, fiercely, like she might not get the opportunity again. Let me show you, she says in his ear, nipping at his jaw and then bringing her lips back to his. The air is heavy with the heat of their bodies, with the smell of him, and their skin is slippery with their mixed sweat. She keens when he pushes another finger into her, still attentive to her clit, but pushing faster now, harder, bringing her closer and closer to the edge. She lets him taste her lips, lets him explore and discover, even when her lungs are burning for air. She feels the coil within her titan, on the precipice, and she moans against his lips, her fist going faster around his length. And close, she whispers against his skin, her lashes fluttering closed, open, closed again. She wants to see his face, wants to watch the pleasure ripple across his features, but she can hardly find it in her to keep them open. Look at me, he says, and she does. That's all she needs, is for him to command her, and suddenly opening her eyes is the easiest thing she's ever done. Their gazes meet, but it's different this time. She watches his eyes flick over her face as the pressure peaks, a bundle of heat when his fingers meet her centre. Her orgasm rolls through her just as she feels him twitch in her hand, swelling and jerking against her hold. Hermione, he groans, thrusting once, twice, three times into her hand before his own orgasm explodes, hot and sticky over her fingers. She watches his face, his parted lips, his flushed cheeks, the ripple of his jaw, the tendons in his neck taut and protruding under his skin as he observes her own expression of pleasure. Hermione's mouth falls open against his in a silent moan, panting against the corner of his lips as her body goes taut, stiff, her toes curling as her back arches off the doorframe. Draco slumps forward, his chest pressing into hers and pinning her against the wood as he catches his breath, hot exiles against her shoulder, his sticky forehead resting on her neck. Her skin is alive with goosebumps, and a tremble runs down her back as her orgasm rolls to a slow, dull throb between her legs. She goes limp with exhaustion, releasing her legs from around his waist and slipping down his front until her feet touch the floor. Her legs barely sturdy enough to keep her upright. They stay tangled together as they catch their breath, Draco's chin on her shoulder, her fingers in his hair, their legs intertwined and their bodies laden with exhausted bliss. Draco is the first to pull away, pushing himself from the doorframe and doing up his trousers as he wets his lips. He is thoroughly dishevelled, the work of her hands through his moosed hair, the work of her teeth visible on his neck. Hermione follows his lead, straightening against the wood, her cheeks growing warm and pink as it hits her at once how fast everything happened, how she'd abandoned any sense of reason or deliberation, too caught up in how good he felt to stop and wonder what sorts of repercussions might follow. She feels awkward, suddenly, as his eyes linger on her face, 
and that she had let a snogging session escalate that quickly into such randy desperation. She has no clue what Draco thinks of all this, if he is used to meaningless one-night stands and has seen his opportunity to make the most of it. She wouldn't hold it against him if he did. They hadn't spared a moment to discuss what any of this meant to either of them. And she's not sure how to bridge the topic now, when they've both already gotten each other off and are standing silently and easily waiting for the other to have the first word. I... she says, breaking the silence. She runs a few fingers from her clean hand through her tangled curls, swallowing as she takes him in so beautifully unravelled, and it had been her to do it to him. Draco pulls out his wand and takes to cleaning them both up. Another hot blush crawls on her cheek as the remains of his orgasm disappear from her hand, and then hers from his. I suppose that was a bit fast. She sounds uncertain, the reservations in her tone discernible, as if leaving him an opening to prove her wrong. Draco examines her for a moment, his expression stoic, but his eyes questioning. She wishes he'd say something, and wishes he'd tell her what she wants to hear, even if she's not quite sure what exactly that is. They stand a foot apart, waiting, wondering. Draco's Adam's apple moves in his throat, and he reaches one hand up to scratch the back of his neck. I suppose it was. His voice is quiet, and it sounds a million light-years further than it was a minute ago when he was groaning her name into her ear. Hermione nods, as if in confirmation. They'd acted like teenagers. Of course it was too fast. She hadn't even been 100% Draco felt the same way as her before she'd let him kiss her. Still isn't 100% sure. And she definitely isn't sure how to approach such a question with him when they've spent the last few months fighting and irritating one another when she had been positive until a week ago that all she'd ever be to Draco Malfoy was a co-worker, just a requirement of the job. She doesn't want this to be just sex. Snogging Draco, for her, wasn't just a means of releasing the tension that's been bubbling between them, of finding temporary pleasure in a situation predisposed to loneliness. She doesn't want to touch him, kiss him, feel him tremble against her and then forget all about it when they get back home. But what does he want? I should sleep, he says finally, as if the window for her response has timed out. She chews on her lip, wishing she had the courage to reach out to him again, to tell him not to leave. Okay. She nods again. Draco nods back, his eyes still searching her face, and not for the first time. She desperately wishes she could know what he's thinking. Without another word, Draco turns and makes his way down the dark corridor, looking back at her once before disappearing into his room and shutting the door behind him. Hermione studies the floor beneath her as if it might hold answers, as if it could solve her problems and decide for her how she should go about this. Because, yes, she has already chosen Draco Malfoy. She's chosen to let him mean something to her. The problem is, she's not sure if Draco Malfoy has chosen her. Mm -hmm.